I am really excited to be here and to preach with y'all. Uh, GA happens once a year, so I know I get at least one sermon per year uh, so that Pastor Jake and Pastor Jeff get a little bit of a break. But um, I had realized that we've been doing a lot of epistles recently, and they gave me free reign on what did I want to preach on. This is one of my favorite verses from Scripture, so um, favorite stories. And I got funny looks when I told people that, that this is one of my favorite stories, and it really is. Uh, it elucidates a lot of things about Christ. Uh, I'll give y'all a spoiler, dads, if you're hoping to get an illustration on the movie Master and Commander because the title, it's not in there. Um, I have other things that might appeal to you on Father's Day. It's just not one of those. I just love that movie, and it's a good title. Um, but I'll talk about something else that, dads, we you have something that I'm sure you have thoughts on. Road trips. I could take them or leave them, honestly. Um, especially city driving is not my thing. I don't love it. Um, and especially if I'm not the one in charge. I don't like going on a trip where someone else gets to call the shots. And why is that? Um, partly it's because, like, rest stops we're going to stop somewhere else that somebody else wants to. We're going to eat where somebody else wants to. Um, you've got your friend who doesn't understand you have to wait for Bucky's a little bit longer, and they want to go to some no-name place on the side of the road. I'd prefer for myself to be in control when I'm on a road trip um, or just completely sleep the whole time if I'm not in charge. And it's because I want things the way that I want them. I think a lot of us can feel the same way with Christ, that we want to be the one in charge. We don't want him picking our road trip of life, us deciding uh, he might want something different from us. I might want to say, no, we're driving through West Texas. We're stopping at Allsup's, and no, that's not the plan. With this story, we see where Christ's power, his command his mastery over not just this man, but over the whole world is displayed. He is powerful and he is great, and I think this is one of those ways, one of these stories and miracles that he does that really elucidates that. Now, before I get into my points, to kind of show you where I'm going with this, first I want to pray and then look at our background for the text. So um, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, that he is our Master, he is our Redeemer, Lord. I pray that the words that you have given us by your servant, Mark, would be a blessing to us, that we would see the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would be blessed through it, that we would see how he is glorified in this miracle. Lord, speak through me. Let us hear the words that you want us to hear, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so two things I want us to look at in the background of this place is where are they? It's the Gerasenes, and Tommy, you, you got it dead on, Gerasenes. Um, this is a region that is not in Israel. It's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, if y'all noticed at the very end of the passage, it talks about the Decapolis, um, it's basically a region where there's 10 different cities, Deca, 10, Polis, city. That's really all that is. I've heard lots of people describe this particular moment in Scripture as the first overseas mission trip uh, because, well, they're going over the Sea of Galilee, going 
to those who weren't a part of Israel. And why is it important that they're there? It's because they're not working in the covenant community. They're not working with Israel. Jesus is going amongst people who a lot of the folks he interacts with would consider to be unclean. I mean, they have pigs around. They've got huge herds of pigs around. And so, obviously, he's working with people who are not familiar with the promises of the Messiah. They're not familiar with who even is Jesus. You might have had people in Israel who did, but these folks don't, and it shows. Now, the location of this, they're not just in the Decapolis, they're in a graveyard. Um, interesting setup, right? We're in a graveyard, and this is not a typical place uh, for his ministry yet. There's a lot more ministry in a graveyard later, but so far, this is the first time he's been in one, and can you imagine Pastor Jeff going over to a graveyard to go reach the lost? Pastor Jake doing that? I couldn't. It'd be an interesting choice, and yet this is where they go to, and this shows that Jesus, again, he's spending time with tax collectors, with prostitutes. What's a graveyard? What is going to a place that feels very out of pocket instead? Now, with these points on background, thinking about our location, I want us to go into our points. Our first point that I have is Christ has command over the whole world. The next is Christ is master even over wicked men, and Christ commands the destiny of all. Now, Christ being the commander of the whole world is not something we think very hard about. We're like, Jesus told us to go into the whole world making disciples. Of course, he's the king of the whole world. Why would we question that at all? Uh, when we think about people who were not of Israel in this time, they viewed their own gods as being constrained to the boundaries of a country. So if I was in Philistia, well, their God is powerful there, but not when we cross this border. There's something magical about this border. For them, there was no power outside of the place that they were worshipped and cared for. And so it's interesting that we see well, let's go over here where these people don't recognize the power of the true God of Yahweh and Jesus will work here. This is almost like law enforcement jurisdiction, uh, how they would treat things. Has anybody in here seen the movie Tombstone? Great movie. I loved it, not just because I lived near there, uh, but it's a wonderful movie. And one of the scenes is there's somebody shooting in the alleyway. And one of the guys comes in and says, hey, sheriff, the county sheriff, and says, hey, you need to come in and fix this. And the sheriff looks over at him and says, it's not county business, it's a town matter. Now, the funny thing about Cochise County, Arizona, it's the size of Connecticut. Uh, so it's not a small county at all. But this is a man who had power to enforce laws, to stop somebody from doing something really silly, shooting down a street, and said, no, that's not my problem. We see here, Jesus doesn't have that feeling. He doesn't say, oh, east side of the Sea of Galilee, not my problem. He goes over to work among these people there and is not bound by the fact that he is outside of Israel. Now, I want us to consider, when we walk out these doors 
on a Sunday morning or Wednesday evening if we have prayer, do you ever act as though Christ has no power outside of these walls? That the boundaries of his power are contained within this building or other church buildings near us? We may not say that. We may not argue for that point. But we can often act as though that is true. That the only place where Christ is powerful is where we have a pulpit. Where somebody can preach from. Is not Christ powerful everywhere? Jesus didn't say, I have to stop here. Wrong territory. We shouldn't act the same way. We should feel just as compelled to share that gospel with the whole world. We obviously as a church feel pretty strongly that way. We've sent people all around the world. We've got a whole mess of folks over in Japan. And that's a very lost place that many would assume, hmm, there's not much power there. And yet we have not said, well, there is no power of the Holy Spirit there. But do we act here in North Texas like that is the case, that there is no power here. Christ's power has no limits. It is powerful everywhere. And it's not just of location where it's powerful, it's who it is powerful over. As I said, Christ is a master even over the evil spirits. Now, what I think we can get very caught up in sometimes when it comes to the lost is thinking about, well, this man's just totally depraved. That's all it is. Good Calvinist, you throw the T out. This man's totally depraved. That's his problem. But we see here that this man is being afflicted by demonic activity. He has a legion of demons inside of him, and he's being spiritually oppressed. We often forget that aspect in our world. We've really shined over a lot of those things and made it feel like, mm, we've got these things under control. We don't have to think about the spiritual dimensions of what is evil. But that was not something that they thought about then, and we should think about now. It was much more sinister than just him being totally depraved. It said that he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. I don't know about y'all, but when I read this, this made me think of Samson. Samson just ripping cords apart, ripping things down, breaking down temples. There was something supernatural to what this man was able to do. And yet, we look past these things. Now, for some of us when we were younger, especially if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, there was a trope in a lot of shows that there were certain things that were just always out to get you. Um, and when I say them, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Quicksand, electric eels, whirlpools, and the Bermuda Triangle. Um, if you're near the Bermuda Triangle, you're in trouble because those all might get you. For some reason, we had an irrational fear of those things. They're not supernatural. Well, I don't know about the Bermuda Triangle, but... Over time, our fears faded of these things. In the same way, when we come to Christ, 
we become much more aware of our spiritual dimensions. Now, this is not us being force-fed a videotape of a silly movie where it's like, oh no, whirlpools are everywhere in the water. This is instead our eyes being opened to the spiritual realities around us, recognizing that there is evil in this world that's greater than just us. Obviously, men have done evil things, awful things, and yet there are things around us now, with this, we also recognize we cannot be taken possession of as those who are in Christ, but there's a reality that we are tempted still, that we struggle against spirits. We see in the scriptures where it says that Satan is like a lion roaming about, seeking to devour those among us. If that doesn't make your hair raise a little, knowing that someone desires to do that against you, not sure what would. But Jesus doesn't have to worry about that. And we can see that in his interaction. Many people like to claim that demons, Satan, any evil forces are just the equal opposite of the Lord. That, oh, well, y'all are just fighting and God is just slightly stronger. It's like a boxing movie. God's just slightly better, but he had to har- fight really, really hard with this. And Satan's just this misunderstood anti-hero, or like the Wizard of Oz, someone who looks really strong, but really isn't that much. Instead, these demons are subservient to Christ, to the Lord Almighty. Verses 6 through 13, and I'm going to read these again, we see that they recognize their submission to the Lord. As we read verses 6 through 13, it says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. Think about that. This demon had to ask permission to go into an unclean animal. Now, we don't hold to the dietary laws. Obviously, we eat a little bit of bacon here and there. Uh, We eat a little bit of pork. But for them, this was an unclean animal. And even if it was a clean animal that the demons wanted to go into, they recognized, I have to ask permission, that I am subservient to Christ This is the Son of the Most High. Now, why does this matter? That this demon recognized they had no power that could stand up against the Lord. It is that Christ is powerful over all, that he has no equal. We might struggle daily to recognize this. We often, especially in moments of trial, when we feel that we are under attack, We can question, Lord, how 
are you going to help me with this? I'm sure you've all spent a moment where you felt under spiritual attack and just unsure of how these things would happen. And yet, even in the moment, we know we don't have a roadmap of how everything will work out, of how all of the things will be fixed, but we've read the scriptures. We know that at the end of days, they will be judged, those demons, those evil ones, and that there will be things made new by the Lord. We know the end. We just don't know the roadmap, unfortunately. And that should give us trust that Christ is able to overcome these demons, overcome these evil things that would seek to harm us and make us feel less trust in the Lord. And this brings me to my last point. This is one I'm going to spend my most time on is Christ commands the destinies of all men. Now, not everybody likes to admit that Christ commands their destiny. Um, Let's just be honest, not everybody wants to. And I'm curious if y'all read the moment of reflection verse. And if anybody was like, hmm, I wonder who said that. It was in Daniel 4.3, and it said, How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, if you look into that scripture, that's actually Nebuchadnezzar. Not exactly someone that we look to as a great Christian pillar of faith. And yet, he was subservient to the plans of the Lord. He was not one who could say, well, I am the king of the greatest kingdom at this time, and you can't tell me. He even was one who was compelled to say, you are great and mighty. And yet, we end up being like those folks who say, oh, I'm just not sure. And this man, I want to think about this man who was possessed. He was lost and on his own. And he was in the graveyard, and it shows that because he was harming himself, they couldn't hold him down. They're like, just go out here. They treated him like a dead man and left him out there as if he was without the ability to help. And he went from weakness to health by the Lord Jesus. These people had given up hope. They had no trust that anything could change, and yet things did change because Christ came in to his life. And knowing he was instantly healed, I always wonder, because it only gives us a little bit of description of what they're saying here, And the book of Mark just tends to be that way. But I'm curious what he felt like meeting Jesus after that. Now, for many of us, we have those moments in our life um, that we look back to and we think about and we wish we could relive. Now, many of you are probably thinking I'm talking about like a wedding or something. But think even about small things. The first time you drank a Dr. Pepper or had a piece of pie, or, man, I remember seeing a video years ago of this little kid trying bacon for the first time and just getting excited about it. 
I remember talking with Emily a few weeks ago about, you know, I wonder what it would be like to watch Star Wars for the first time again. Uh, Would I think it was just as great? I'm not really sure. But often we wish we could go back and recapture those moments and think of those times. And yet, do we remember when we first met Christ? Do we remember when we were brought to faith and repentance For many, I'm sure you're like, I've been in the church my whole life. I don't really remember the moment I came to faith. I'll be honest, I came to faith as a six-year-old, and yet I still really don't remember the night. I don't remember exactly what that was, and yet I remember the difference that that made. That faith and that repentance, that following after Christ brought to me it filled me with a desire to be with Christ. Now, obviously, your sin desires are a little different as a six-year-old than they would be as an adult, but for those of you who maybe had a more radical conversion, who came to faith as an adult, for many of you, you walked away from lives that were much more dangerous. We've heard all I'm sure of those who were saved from lives of drugs or alcohol or crime and thinking about how this wonderful epiphany of the fact that Christ has redeemed me, how that changes everything. And this man's own meeting, it was just as dramatic as that. Um, the man who had been possessed, he begged him that he might be with him. Now, a popular question in like icebreakers is if he could have dinner with three people, who would it be? Everybody invariably chooses Jesus for one of those. Um, almost every time, to a T. And this man wanted to be one of those people. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to follow after him. He wasn't like, well, I'm all better. Let's go on my business. He recognized what this man had done for him, that he had cast out these demons from him and made him better. And he wanted to go with him. Now, the cynic might say, well, this man was just afraid of reprisals. We see that a bunch of people came in from the town. They wanted to see what happened. If a herd got drowned, there's going to be some angry farmers. Maybe that's what the problem is. And I don't think that's really the point, as we can see from his later response. He was not looking to, oh, well, I guess I've got to live with people being angry at me. Instead, He was told by Jesus, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. I don't know if everybody would be excited to hear that answer. They might be like, wow, I'd really like to be with you instead. But this man, he clearly felt a desire to actually trust what Jesus had told him, to follow that command and go and read with me again as we go here to verse 20. And it said, And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Now, this man, he was filled with joy and a desire to share what he loved, what he had seen that had been a revelation to him with others. Many of us have similar things that we'd like to brag about. 
that we'd like to share things about because we're just so excited. We want to tell us. Um, my daughter Olivia, she had the hardest time not telling everybody that Emily was pregnant. We made them wait for three weeks and she just kept saying, you have to let me because she was so excited to share. For me, I went to the Rangers game last year where Aaron Judge broke the AL home run record. Now, Pastor Jake was there too. But had he not been there, I would have went and told him, hey, Pastor Jake, you know what I saw? I saw this great feat. Now, even as a Rangers fan, I was not happy to see that home run, okay? That, we weren't going to win that game, but I didn't want him to hit it. But I was so excited for something that would make my friend excited that, of course, I would want to go and share that with him, that news that I got to witness this once-in-a-lifetime thing right here. The same way, this man, he saw something way greater than a home run. And he wanted to go and share with those he knew all throughout the Decapolis what he had seen. Now, this is not just that he went to his neighborhood and shared. Instead, it says he went to the Decapolis. Like I said, this is a gathering of about 10 cities. Imagine you are like this man and you are told, go around to Collin County on foot and share what you have seen, what you have heard from the Lord. Uh, that would be a bit of work, honestly. There's a lot of people here, but for them, they didn't even have cars. He couldn't even hitchhike. He couldn't do anything like that. And it was not a place where it was necessarily safe because people did not believe in the Lord over there. This was a foreign country. And yet this man went and proclaimed what he had heard. He, you could consider him maybe one of the first commissioned indigenous missionaries to an unreached people group. That might actually work to call him that. But it didn't say that people were angry at him, that they recoiled. We have a lot of people in Scripture where they heard the good news of what Jesus had done, and they turned away from it. We look at St. Stephen's speech. He was stoned for calling people to repentance. All of the rest of the apostles, except for John, endured a similar fate. There was hard things that they went through. And yet, they had a similar result with many people as this man had. It said that they were amazed. Now, this is not just an amazement like when your child comes up to you and they painted a picture when they're two years old and you're like, oh wow, that's really good. This is not that. Uh, the Greek word here, I promise I won't do this every time I preach, ethaumazo, uh, is actually can be used to say extraordinarily impressed. Now, it's not just, oh, that's pretty good. It's a, whoa, that's amazing. I can't believe you told me this. Now, what I do want to be clear about is we don't know exactly the destiny of these people, but imagine if this man had decided, you know, Jesus, that's a really good idea. I could share this, but I've got other ideas. I've been missing out on so much being in this graveyard. I've, been, I've missed so many things. I've missed birthday parties. I've missed family. Let me go see them instead. And then we'll get to what you asked me to do later. Or he just decided, no, I'm doing my own thing. I don't want to go tell people. These people would not have been amazed. 
we wouldn't have heard about the Decapolis in this way. And we may not know what the fate of these people who it says were amazed were, but we can look back in history and know the fate of this region. Um, I actually was really interested myself studying this, and I looked into this. One of the cities in particular, Pella, uh, was one of the places that when there was the fall of Jerusalem, the people in the early church fled to Pella as a refuge, a place of safety. Now, this was a time where Christians were not really welcome in a lot of places. So for them to go into hiding in a place, this meant there had to be some safety there. There had to be some believers there. And knowing the history, the arc of all of these places, that they came to know the Lord, they came to have many churches and believers, I think we could say that this man, his obedience, even just in this amazement, this marveling that they had, reaped dividends. Now, I want to look at ourselves. Have you ever heard a command of Christ and declined to do it? Have you ever read in the Word of God or heard preached commands to do things and you say, yeah, I don't really want to do that. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. To be honest, we're all a lot of times convinced of how smart we are, that we have the best ideas around and that no one else could do it. Or we say, Jesus, that's a good idea. What if I did this little tweak and make it better? I'll just add some extra steps. The problem is we don't possess the wisdom of what the Lord has. This man had a pretty good idea. I've met this man, Jesus. He's healed me from being afflicted by demons. I want to go with him. I think we could all agree that sounds like a pretty good idea on paper. And yet the Lord had a different plan for this man. He commanded him to go and share with those among his people. Now, is God calling you to something you're trying to negotiate out of in your life? I think a lot of times we can feel that way that I'm just going to give you my best offer, God. I'm going to, oh, what if I do this instead, get really close, and then close the deal? The problem is we can't haggle with God like we haggle for a car that we're trying to buy. We are told what we're to do, and we're to follow after the Lord. And here's what we need to remember. This is not just a, God told you, just do it, good luck. The Lord wants what is good for us. We see that Jesus says that if we ask our father, a good father, for bread, would he give his child a serpent? Absolutely not. He would give him bread. In the same way, our father in heaven is a good father. Why would he give us those things that harm us. They may be painful. The same way that working out is painful, but it reaps benefits. It reaps rewards. Now, who is Jesus to all of mankind? I know the threefold maxim of king, priest, and prophet, and I know y'all might be going crazy because I didn't say prophet, priest, and king in that order. Went backwards. Um, 
those can be great ways to look at this. But I think priest and prophet are very easy for us to recognize that, yes, he heals me as a priest. He's a prophet. He speaks bold words. But do we recognize him as king? Do we allow him to be the master and commander of our lives and everywhere in our lives? Do we act as though he is powerless outside of these walls? Or that those things that are evil in this world, you know, Jesus, you tried hard, but it's just not enough. We trust that the Lord is powerful, that he is able to go over everything. I think Abraham Kuyper said it best about Christ's power over all things, where he said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. All of human existence, not just everything in the world, but everything that has ever happened. It is Christ. He has all power to command those, even those who are evil. And we, (coughs) as followers in Christ, should be willing to follow after him with what he has asked us to do. Now, he may be calling us to faithfulness in our lives. He may be calling you to turn away from your sins And I can know, that because we all endure these, that we often forget that even though we are simultaneously justified in a sinner, we cling hard to that sinner part. We want to forget that we are justified, that the Lord has made us good, but we say, no, I have this sin. You can't tell me I have to get rid of this. I'm enjoying it too much. Oh, You want me to be honest in the way that I work? No, I've got better ideas. And yet, we should not fall into that trap. We should be just like this man who had a great idea. His idea was not evil at all, and yet he followed after the Lord. He trusted what was told of him. And yet we can be like the prodigal son, often many of us, where we have this wonderful idea. We say, Give me my money. I'm going to live it up. And we were given riches of the gospel. Things way more exciting than just gold and money. And we squander it. I pray that if you are in that position where you're squandering the beautiful gospel that has been presented to you and given to you by the Lord, quit squandering it. Repent of that and follow after the Lord. And I call on all of you, remember the Lord as your master and commander this day and trust in him daily. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I thank you that your son Christ Jesus is powerful. That he even now rules over our hearts, Father. I thank you that he died so that we could be saved. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to take communion, Lord. I pray that we would be blessed by that work, Lord. Let it indwell in us and let these words that we have read from your scriptures today help us grow as we walk and follow after you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.